Welcome to Bella in Your Business, where Bella will discuss anything and everything about your pet sitting business to help you land on target. So get ready, Bella's got your shoot. Let's jump! Welcome, everybody. This is Bella Vasto with Jump Consulting, and this is Bella in Your Business, a podcast for anyone in the pet industry to help inspire, motivate, and challenge you. Today, I have Jason online from AccuTrack. That always is a tongue twister for me. Jason, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, we've known each other for a couple years now or so. I actually had to look back, and it's been since 2013, early 2013, when we, Sarah Bear introduced me to you. For sure. The rest has been history. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. And you've been so great to our whole industry, like, really helping to provide education. You've helped write a couple blogs for me. And now I'm so glad to have you on the show today. I tiled it, how to do a pet sitting background check without getting sued. But in order to understand the answer to that question, I think we got to kind of break it down to what actually a background check is, right? Correct. Yeah. Background checks are really becoming so much a part of everyday life that I think people don't really think about where they come from, you know, how the information is stored and really all the different places there are to get this information. So why can't I just go online, Jason, and, you know, do my 999 and background check for my newest employee and consider it done? That's one of the big misconceptions is people think, well, I've seen these searches online. I can just jump on there, pay a quick fee. We've even seen some that charge a yearly fee. So they might charge you $49.95 and let you run an unlimited amount of searches. These are all good tools. So if this is just a tool that you're using, you're not basing your decision off of these databases, then they're a great place to start. Now, where these can get people in trouble is those records are not always accurate. We work with a lot of different fields. So in the tenant screening realm, these databases are looked at as okay. The landlords, that's all they have to do. Now, when we're talking employment screening, screening a person before they're actually hired into your company, that's where it gets a little more stringent and we have to make sure that those records are accurate before you truly affect that person's well-being. You know, this is a job that could pay their bills, could help feed their family, and now you're deciding whether you're going to hire them or not hire them based on this criminal record. So it better be accurate because if it's not, that applicant's going to get upset and could go through the proper motions. There have even been cases, you know, where people are sued over things like this because of the negligence in reporting accurate records and then they miss the job. Wow, that's crazy. And who else to trust other than you who are in this business? So if I meet someone and I have like an awesome interview and I have a good gut feeling about them, is that enough? Like, why should I do a background check? Should I do one on everybody? The gut feeling is something we hear a lot. We hear it all across the board. And I'll just share a little story with you. This actually happened last week. One of my clients, they're my client now. Before, you know, I, we know a lot of people through our associations. And so people constantly say, well, I'm going to get with you on this. You know, we've got something in place. You know, let me look at that. Well, this company in particular was running one of those, you know, $10 searches online. The employee that they hired showed to not have any criminal history. Well, this person, you know, unknown to them, had previous burglary charges. And this was a female that her character, everything seemed up to par. They're going in and out of people's homes. It's a service-driven profession. 
Anyway, so this person, what they do is they were taking credit card payments and she had one of those devices that would snack people's credit card numbers, everything that you need, name, all of that stuff. They don't know exactly how long it went on, but she approached one of the other employees and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. Check this out. Luckily, that person went and told the owner there's yeah. some, somebody doing something really not good here. Anyway, honest, yeah. so we ran the background through the county that that person lived in. And just that alone showed this burglary charge that had they ran it properly, you know, not just using the databases that are nationally where people, you know, all kinds of people just try to store as many records as they can, but they never update them. You right. have to go to the county. So when we went to the county and found this record, you know, that record alone would have kept them out of a lot of hot water that they're in at the moment over this credit card scam. Um, they would have known right away not to hire that person. Now, wow. Wow. Those records will show up on the big national databases, but you just always have to go back to the county to make sure that it's accurate, to make sure that it wasn't just an arrest, you know, make sure that person was actually convicted. You know, if we got mad at each other, we could call the cops on each other and have one another arrested. That doesn't mean that we did anything that should hinder us from getting a job. We want to look for the conviction want to look for the accuracy of those records and that's where a lot of people get in trouble is they think they just jump online hit that search oh it's clear let's hire them and there's actually procedures that are laid out mainly by the federal government of how background checks are supposed to be used and accuracy is the biggest guideline right wow that's incredible all right obviously they fired this person <laughs> yeah, yeah they're in, so in some legal um going through all of those motions right now. Um, it's been a mess, but it won't ever happen again. And I, and we always try to educate people before something like that happens. Yeah. Don't that, learn the hard way. Right. And they may even get in some trouble for hiring this person on just that search. Mm -hmm. um, in the courts, it's not looked at as a search that's to be used in your hiring decision. It can be a tool, but if that's all you're basing your decision on, they can come back and say, okay, you could have done more. So I'm going to change my next question. It sounds like that there's a difference between a tool and something that's actually credible that you are protecting your assets okay. by actually using. Is that right? So all background checks aren't considered equal. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly right. And just so you guys know what I mean by a good tool, as a background screening provider, the way we use that. So for instance, you get a new applicant. The person looks great. You want to offer that position and then do the background check. Well, what if this person has lived, you know, all over the country for budget reasons? You literally cannot go and run every county. You would spend a thousand dollars plus to run every county this person may have lived. You know, we have some companies that do that. Their average background checks run two to three hundred dollars, but they run every county the person's lived or worked for the last seven years. But you know, for budget reasons, there has to be something in place so that you don't have to go to individual counties, wait their two, three days for those records, pay their search fees, their county fees, everything involved. So what some companies have done is they went online and scraped as many records as they can from these county courthouses. Not only the county courthouses, the state records, the Department of Corrections for each state, there's a number of different places that they can scrape all these criminal records and they put those into a huge database we call those either national or you'll also hear them called multi-state databases most people are leaning towards calling those multi-state databases because they don't truly cover the whole united states when it comes to criminal records so the national can be a little bit misleading but anyway so these databases are so large 
that they may scrape the records on something, you know, two years ago was the last time they hit that. That means that, say, a year and a half after that person was convicted, they went and hired a lawyer to see what they could do about getting that record sealed or expunged. Whatever the case may be, things change with these records. Mm-hmm. They're not always updated within these databases. Mm-hmm. So the way you would use this, you know, say somebody went to Florida, say they live in Texas. This person goes to Florida on vacation and violently assaults somebody, whatever the case may be. You may not ever find that record without running one of these huge national databases because you would never know to go into that Florida county and run their criminal search. Right. So that's where these give you a little bit extra reach. You just can't trust them 100 percent, but you want as much reach as you can. So that's why I say it's a good tool. So, for instance, say we find this record in Florida. Now it's our job as the CRA, as the consumer reporting agency that's given you this background check. We have to now go to that Florida county and make sure that the record we found on our big conglomerate database we have to make sure that we have the most updated version of that record, meaning the last disposition that the judge signed off on. Was the person convicted? Was the record expunged? Was the record sealed? Did anything happen to that record that could get you as an employer in trouble for using it? Right, right. That's just amazing. Talk to me about the difference between me putting on an application like, can I do a background check, as opposed to this, what is it, three-page document that you had me send out to these people I'm doing this background check on? Why do I need so many papers? That's a great question, and we get that a lot. The biggest thing with the federal guidelines is these applicants have to understand and know exactly what they're signing off on, that they're going to have their background check ran, that this will be used in the decision. So the way the FCRA, which is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the way that lays it out, and and that can be misleading too. A lot of people think that it just pertains to credit. It actually lays out exactly how background checks are to be used for employment purposes too, criminal checks as well as credit. So they lay it out that you have to disclose to this person. So one of those would be the disclosure and authorization. And it's going to just lay it out piece by piece so that everybody's in compliance so that when you store that background check, you have every piece of documentation that's required by the FCRA along with that background check. So if that person ever comes back and says, you know, I never gave them authorization, you can pull that document and say, yes, you did. We have everything here with your IP address and the date that you've done it. So it's more of a compliance issue than anything just to make sure that that applicant's aware of what they're signing off on. And that would be a loophole, Jason, a loophole that like an attorney could use uh, against the employer if they wanted to really sue you or they they could say that you weren't F-C-R-A, F-T-C, and E-E-O-C compliant. God, that's a lot of acronyms. Exactly (laughs) right. And all of those entities, you know, have certain guidelines that must be adhered to when we're talking about all of this stuff. Just talking about this is giving me a headache. So I am so glad that I have someone like you on my team that I can just call up and be like, yo, I got this new employee. What do I need to do? Oh, okay. (laughs) Or, hey, can you just send me something to make it part of my new hire packet that I know I just need to have it signed? I'm not quite sure why or what or all this other stuff. Because I'm busy doing everything else, right? right. It's me, so me cool to have you. A little bit further into that, how lawyers, especially previously last couple of years as the economy was down a little more, but this is the type of things lawyers go looking for. So, for instance, sure. if you had an application 
and they happen to hit your website and they see that your disclosures are not laid out properly or they notice anything wrong, one of the things that the SCRA lays out is that this disclosure must be separate from the rest of the application. So they need to leave one document, you know, whether that means the next page or whatever the case may be, but it needs to be on its own page and it must be clear and conspicuous that this applicant knows what they're signing off on. So for instance, if you had that disclosure just embedded somewhere within the application, I hereby give consent to run a background check. They come across this, they're going to look at that and they're also going to go after you for everybody that's ever filled out that application. That's how a lawsuit turns from, you know, a lawsuit to a class action lawsuit. Talk about uh, a snowball. And that's like enough to put a business out of business. Big companies like Target, for instance, I think they had something like this happen along the lines with their application. And with bigger companies like that, they pay a fine and go on. They're going to step right. up that and keep moving. For a smaller company, for a family-owned business, one hit like this over something that could have been avoided, just had they been educated on it, could really be detrimental to a whole company. Gosh, they didn't tell you this in Business 101 now, did they? <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you about this all day long. I like to keep it short and interesting and so that if people want to chat it up with you on the phone. I know you'd be more than happy to. I hope that it's enticed people to call you, email you, evaluate their current process or tools that they have, and just be educated on it. So if someone listening today wants to get in contact with you, how can they do that? The best way to contact me is info at accutrack.com. And as you and I both know, AccuTrack can be a little hard to spell at times. So that is info, I-N-F-O, at AccuTrack. And that is spelled A-C-U-T-R-A-Q.com. So info at AccuTrack.com. That's awesome. Do you have a phone number, too, just in case anyone's My, my direct school? line is 281-727-0019. And that's the direct line in my office. You can reach me on that just about any time. Jason, thank you so much for being here for this uh, awesome episode of Bella in Your Business, a podcast by me, Bella Vasso, with Jump Consulting for anyone in the pet industry, or actually this one is very versatile and universal. Thank you so much for being here with us. And guys, tune in on iTunes, Stitcher. Just go ahead and Google search Bella in Your Business. If you have an iPhone, you can just press subscribe and it will update every single time there's a new episode that comes out. Thanks again for listening and everyone, or as Jason would say, y'all have a great day. Thanks for jumping with Bella in your business. For more information, free articles, free coaching sessions, and more, go to jumpconsulting.net. And remember, Bella's got your shoot.